Were y'all ready for today's word? Oh, come on, Watchmore. Are you ready for today's word? I do want to welcome our online audience, man, all over the New England area. Uh, we've got April, and I'm not even going to pretend to, to know how you say her last name, uh, but welcome. She is spreading the word. We've got, she's got people everywhere out in that area because you know that people up north really need God. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, but she's spreading, but welcome, guys. It, it is good. Uh, last week, we were in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to keep that ball rolling, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, feel free to open up, follow along. If you don't, don't worry, I'm going to bring it up here on the screen for you. Um, most people, is it a fair assumption to say, most people, even those that don't, didn't grow up in church or don't go to church, are familiar with the Christmas story, not a Christmas story. The first service, uh, one of the young ladies who is blonde, Thought I was talking about a Christmas story, the lampshade, you know what I'm talking about? But you, you're familiar with the original Christmas story, the manger. I mean, is it fair to, to assume that? The manger, the three wise men, uh, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus. We're pretty familiar with it, right? Right? I, I mean, this, this is the scene that comes to our mind. Uh, guys, what are you pointing at? Because I'm pointing and clicking and nothing's happening. Um, this is the original. This is what we think about. Oh, I thought that was your mom and dad, Tyler. Welcome, Richardson's. Um, can, can I be honest, though? When we think about the Christmas story, how God, God's plan to save the world, to save humanity, when you think about it logically, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like a good strategical plan to save the world. Here's what I mean. You're God. You, can, you, you surpass all time and space. You have the, the ability to be anywhere you want, everywhere you want, all at the same time. And your plan to save humanity is this. Strip myself of that. Become one of them where I'm just one person in one place. I, I mean, to me, that to strip my idea. If I'm planning on saving humanity, I'm going to take my godhood with me to Earth. I'm going to take all those. I mean, think about the superheroes we watch: uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, Thor. All these superheroes, super superheroes, superheroes. That's a different story. Um, ho ho ho! Uh, so here we go. All the super ho ho hoes. Anyway, boom. But all the superheroes, they came from their planet. It was either being destroyed, they were running from somebody. But when they got here, they still retained their superhero abilities, right? Still had them. And, and another thing, they didn't leave their planet willingly. It was like they were forced off of it. It was being destroyed or they were running from, from their enemies or something like that. And here's what, when it comes down to God and his plan, he laid down his godhood, put on flesh and blood. He came here and did that on purpose. On purpose. And, and, and so I, I think about that, and, and here's my point in all that. He's the one that took all the initiative. 
to come after us. We didn't do anything. It, it was his plan, his idea. God looked down into this world of ours. He saw all our brokenness. He saw all our hurt, all our sin, all the damage that if we're honest, we brought on, we caused. And it broke his heart. And he said, whatever it takes, I've got to restore. I've got to go get them. And he was like, I, I'm going, I'll become one of them. I'll walk with them. I'll befriend them, live with them, feel their pain. And ultimately, I will die for them. I mean, think, think, think about it. Think about the other gods in this world. When you think about them, their whole thing is this. You want my affection? Earn it. You want my attention? Earn it. Do, it's what you do that earns my attention. What you do that earns my affection. But with God, we didn't do anything. Right? I, I mean, we, we didn't ask for it. We didn't earn it. We weren't good enough. We're not righteous enough. In fact, here's, a, here's some good news. We were sinners. Ugly. The worst of the worst. Yet God left heaven took off his godhood, put on flesh and blood just to find and rescue us. Can we agree? Now, I know some of y'all are afraid to agree. That's a terrible strategy and plan. Let me, let me, okay, let me explain it a different way. Let's say you've got a friend, and they want to find their love of their life. And they come to you, and they say, hey, listen, I'm going to find the woman I love. Uh where, where are you going? It's somewhere between, it's somewhere west of Australia in the Indian Ocean. If you wonder why I picked that area, because I Googled it, and that says it's the farthest point on earth from Knoxville, Tennessee. So they tell you this, hey, listen, I'm going uh, somewhere west of Australia in the Indian Ocean to meet the love of my life. And you're like, okay, so you guys have been chatting online. You've been talking. Oh, no. They, they may not even know I exist. But I'm going after them. I love them. And, and you're like, uh, so, so you haven't talked yet. You, you, they, you don't even know if they exist. Uh, uh, I'm looking at their online social media. These people, they're not a good person. They're doing things that are not just not moral. They're pretty much against the law in every facet of the way. And you're going... I, I think what you're doing is stupid. How many would uh, us would tell a friend that? Come, come on, be honest. But that was God's plan. He said, I'm going to sit out across the universe. I'm going to go the distance for people that don't even know I exist yet. For people that don't love me, haven't asked for me to come to them. But that's what I'm going to do. So the question this morning, Sunday before Christmas, is this, is there anything God wouldn't do to reach us? Is there a distance that God wouldn't go? Is there a person that, that, uh, that God would look at and say, oh, no, no, thank you? Is, is there a place that God wouldn't go? Is there a person that has strayed so far off the path that God wouldn't go after them? And we talked about this last week in Matthew 1, we talked about the genealogy of Jesus and why Matthew goes into great detail into this because he's wanting the readers and he's wanting us to know, hey, the reason I'm going into details, I want you to know 
These are real people. Jesus was a real person. And in Matthew 2, it's no different. He goes into some great detail naming actual places and actual pieces, uh, people because he wants us to know these, this actually happened. It went down. So let's start in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, this is interesting to me. He was disturbed, not that part, but this part. And all Jerusalem with him. All right, let's stop there for a minute. Because I've heard, I've read this story so many times, and it has never really stuck out to me like it did this week when I was reading it. In fact, I called a couple of my friends, my brother Chris, I called David Gray, and I said, I want to run, I said, because I'm reading this, and, and I just want to make sure I'm not preaching something or say something, then I get tore up for it on Facebook. Um, a heretic. Uh, but anyway, because I'm, I'm sitting there, I said, I understand why Herod might be disturbed, hearing about another king coming in. But all of Jerusalem's disturbed. I'm talking about these are the people that have been waiting for the Messiah to come. They've been waiting for this day, yet they are disturbed by the news. And I got to think of why would they be disturbed. And then I remember when you study their history, the Israelite people had a history of kings when they felt threatened. They would lose their mind, and in order to keep a future king from coming in and taking over, they would order a massacre of all babies two years and under. And I wonder, I sit there and I said, I'm just wondering if all of Jerusalem was nervous and worried and, and, and disturbed because they're thinking, is this king going to lose his mind too? Is King Herod going to lose his mind? And then we're going to have to go through all this again. And I say that to say this, when you think, when you, when you think of the Christmas story, thank you, Mary, it is not as pretty and neat and wrapped up as what we've been made to believe. There was a lot of things going on during this time. Now let's continue. When he had, when he had called together the Herod, all the people's uh, chief priests, teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd for my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After... Uh, uh, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them till it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another uh, let me ask a question. Yeah, there we go. Anybody have any Christmas traditions, either growing up or now? Come on, anybody. 
not Christmas traditions. We, we had Christmas traditions growing up. Um, one of them, uh, one of, and it still rings true today, uh, we do not have an artificial tree. Have, have we ever had an artificial tree in our house? In fact, when our kids all moved out, and Denise and I thought, well, let's get an artificial tree. Oh, you would have thought that we had given them some terrible news that I was going to prison or something. No, God, no. And, and so, uh, but we had tradition. When I grew up, how many, how many are from this area? Here's how we found our Christmas tree. We drove down the road. And we would spot one dad said, that one looks good, pull over. Wait in the truck, boys. Cut it down, throw it in the back of the truck, we're off. Apparently that's illegal now. That's government property. Um, so then when our kids were born, we started this uh, new tradition. We'd go, there was a tree farm over near Cleveland. We would go get our tree every year. In fact, uh, the first year in our house that we built over here, over 20 years ago, we moved in Christmas Eve. And Denise was like, I don't guess we're having a tree this year. I said, oh, we are having a tree. I piled the kids. We took off. Zion is what? Three months old. And we pile them in the car. We head over there. The only person there, I thought they're closed. The owner was there. And we, we told him, he said, oh, come on. Took us out, let us cut our tree down. We got back. It may not have been the prettiest tree, but we had a tree that got it. So, and it's continued now because that tree farm's closed. It's hard to find a really good tree farm to go. We go to Lowe's and buy that tree, <laughs> which I just found out. Uh, Lowe's trees went half off since we purchased ours. So, um, but those are traditions. I remember this tradition growing up. I was Stell Creek Church of God, the church we grew up in. They had a live nativity scene. I mean, it was big. They they blew it up. My mom, being the drama person, she would blow it. But she'll tell you stories about me being, my, my birthday's December 15th. If you missed it, listen, it's not a big deal. I take presents well into the new year. Um, but she, she tells a story about me being born on that day, the very next day. I'm wrapped up, and she's directing the, the, the nativity scene. That's when women were real women, folks. So come on. I need eight weeks to hit. Oh, come on. My mom was like, come on, let's get it. Let's go. But I, we, we've got these traditions, and this, I would say, um, when you look, when you think of the nativity, what it might look like, we had everything out there you can imagine. We had the manger. We had the shepherds along with a couple of sheep. We had, uh, we, uh, we'd throw the donkey in there because Mary rode a donkey. Come on, so you got to have the donkey. Where did it go? Uh, you had Mary and Joseph. You had baby Jesus. had the magi. For some reason, we've settled on there were three of them. The Bible doesn't tell us there were three of them, but we assume there were three because uh, they've got three gifts, right? But Maybe they were like, one of them was like my mom or, or, or my wife, Denise, where you show up to something and you realize, you know, they're not, there are going to be some people here that didn't show up with a gift, so I'm going to bring a couple of extras. Come on. And you're like, hey, guys, you knew we were seeing the king and you didn't bring anything? Good thing I got some frankincense and myrrh with me, too. I'm giving him the gold. <laughs> but we don't know. But, but here, here, here's another thing about this. Uh, anybody ever heard a song, um, We Three Magi of Orient are? You've heard We Three Kings, right? 
Why, why, why do we not, why, why are they three kings? Now, not what the Bible says, magi. Because we're not comfortable with what magi really means. That somewhere along the line, the original Christmas story, we started calling them instead of magi, kings or wise men. The Bible doesn't tell us they're kings, and there's no scripture that would indicate they're kings, but we made them kings or wise men. Why? Because that sounds better than magi. You ever notice how we'll take words that make us uncomfortable and we'll change them change to change the meaning of those words or give them a different name altogether? You ever, let, let, me, let me show you, like, don't, don't, they're not fat anymore. They're big-boned. That just sounds nicer, right? They got some big bones. Uh, they're not short. They're vertically challenged. Uh, they're not stupid or dumb. In the South, it's bless your heart. That just sounds nicer. Uh, it's not gossip. It's a prayer request. Uh, cough, COVID, sneeze, COVID, temperature, COVID. Walking funny, COVID. And those are humorous, humorous, but what about other words that we just want to make them sound better? Death. Well, they passed away. What about a lie? Oh, it's an SPF, SPF, it's an F. Adultery, an affair. Sex, outside of marriage, sleeping with someone. Hateful or rude. Oh, I'm just keeping it real. Keeping it 100. No, you're just being a jerk. Because you're a jerk. And you need to get saved. Anyway, let's move on. We'll say instead of poor, they're less fortunate. Instead of abortion, we'll say pregnancy termination. Because that just sounds better. Sin, messed up. Made a mistake. Why? Because those words make us uncomfortable and we want to replace them with something that sounds nicer, a little less edgy. And, and we've done that also with the nativity scene and with what who shows up in the Bible because we're okay with shepherds being at the birth of the Messiah even though the Jewish people, they would not have been okay with it because so, uh, shepherds were social outcasts. They were low-class citizens. They had no, they, 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 they shouldn't be at the birth of the Messiah or king, period. But we're okay with the shepherds being there. Uh, we're okay with angels being there. Why wouldn't angels be there at the birth of the Messiah? But magi, let's call them something different. Let's call them wise men. Let's call them kings. Because magi is where we get the word magician from. I'm willing to bet money that if you've got a nativity scene at your house, or if you've got a picture of one, Nowhere in that nativity scene do you see three magicians. You might see three wise men, three kings, but there are not three magicians in there, right? Right? Yet when you read the original story, we have three magi, three magicians that have somehow worked their way into the story of God. And if you look deeper into who these guys were, it's very interesting they, 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 they were from a totally different religion. 
totally different background. They, they came from Persia or what is modern-day Iran. Uh, they, they, they studied this ancient Persian religion called Zoroastrianism. Do you know what that is today? Astrology. And at this point in their life, the Messiah or King of the Jews had not even been an afterthought to them. Get this. What led them to Jesus wasn't any writings uh, of Moses, of the prophets, of Isaiah, of any of them. It was any of that. None of those things uh, that captured their attention. It was a star that captured their attention. It says they saw a star. Do you know why they saw a star? Because that's what they did. They were astrologers. They looked at the stars. They looked to looking for signs of life, signs of who they were, meaning to life. And they saw a star. They were trying to look to find and understand what their future held. And they see this unusual star that captures their attention. And they say, we've got to search this out. But big question. What were magi, magicians, astrologers even doing at the birth of Jesus? The Messiah, the birth of God. Let's look at verse 1, 2 again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Look what they asked. Where is the one born king of the Jews? These guys are in Persia. They don't ask, where is the one born a king of Persia? Where is the one born king of the world? They said, we're looking for the one that was born king of the Jews. I heard Erwin McManus talking about this question that, that the, that the uh, Magi uh, asked this question. He's, here's what he says about the question. He said their question was not a statement that they did not want Jesus to be their king. It was a statement that they weren't sure that he would want to be their king. He, see, they wanted him, to, they wanted to embrace Jesus as their king. That's why they were searching him out. They just didn't know if Jesus would embrace them back as, as their king. Why? Because if they're taking their cues from the people of God in that time, the followers of God, their process would be this. The way we are, God would not want anything to do with us. Isn't that the way a lot of people think today? Why would we want to go to church? That God, the way I am, why would God want anything to do with me? Don't measure up to the standard. So why were they there? I, here's what I like to think of them as, the original party crashers. They didn't get invited. Why would they get invited? They didn't know anybody. They didn't know anybody in the family. They didn't even, they didn't even follow the same religion. But I love it. They don't need an invite. They see something that captures their attention, and it draws them in, and they decide to crash the party. And they say, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? They saw a star when it rose, and they've come to worship him. The Passion translates that as this. We observe his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow down to him in worship. They see something. They're looking, not, not for God. 
and looking at something they've always looked at. And it, something different this time captures their attention. And they begin to search God out. Not even knowing they're really looking for God. This reminds me of Candace Wallace, our, our, our uh, creative director. I think about her, her testimony. She was an atheist for 25 years. Wasn't looking for God. Wasn't searching for God. In fact, she went to a bookstore or library to, to, to get a book uh, on atheism to kind of confirm what she did not believe or did not believe. I don't know how it goes. Uh, but confirmed that she buys a book by what she believes is an atheist in the atheism section. Comes home, begins to read it. Turns out it was an ex-atheist. That God began to work in his life and show him things. And that started a conversation in her own mind about, have I been wrong all this time? Well, that leads to two women showing up at her doorstep. Out of nowhere, just knocking and said, hey, would you mind if we come in and pray with you or read the Bible with you? And things began to change. And when she wasn't even searching what she thought was God, in fact, she was searching for it to confirm her disbelief in God. And God, through that, said, oh, I've got you now. I've laid the bait. I've set the trap. And God threw her in. God, Grace, and Candace collided. Think about other stories that we hear of like that. People weren't even looking for God. They were looking to satisfy their own needs, satisfy their own desires. And then somewhere in that, God just, bam, collides with See, I'm just the belief that God can and we use anything to bring us to him. Y'all know if you've been a part of this church at all, you know this. We have been criticized here at Watts Bar for some of our methods that we use. Uh, we've been criticized that we use, uh, we'll use secular music, uh, that we use videos in our services. Uh, we've been criticized over our centuries production uh, because of the music we look, uh, we, we use in it. But can I tell you, being honest with you, I could care less. Because during those times, we seen God and that person collide. When they were out here thinking about something else, looking at something else, and God's like, oh, I got them now. I got them now. So I don't, in fact, the people that criticize us most, I'm not trying to reach them anyway. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to reach the people God has called us to. And contrary to popular belief, the people that God has called us to aren't listening to the local Christian radio stations. And I, I, I said, don't even get me on that. I, I was made aware of this a couple of weeks ago. This, this was just funny to me. Uh, me and Denise are in Colorado, and I get a, uh, a text from Bob. Because I told Bob, I said, Bob, don't call me unless somebody's dead. I'm on vacation. So he texts me. <laughs> so, and, uh, and then so I call him and say, what's going on? He says, my uncle called you. I said, no. He said, he called me so mad last night. My thought was, what did we do now? <laughs> so, <laughs> but apparently about, I don't know if some of you remember, we had this sign down the bottom of the road that just said, the bar. Because that was the nickname of the people called it, the bar. What's the bar church? The bar. And and so on national television, at this big Christian convention, I mean thousands of people in the audience, 
And I said, there's no way this guy mentioned us by name. And, and uh, so Bob said, I taped it. I'm going to send it to you. And he sent me the video. And the guy, I'm not going to give his name or anything like that because it's not worth their time. Uh, we know who we are. We know what we're doing. Amen? Uh, we know who God's called us to be. But uh, here's what he said. He said, he's talking about the condition of the church and how things are blah, blah. And he goes, and there's this church over in East Tennessee. I thought, come on, East Tennessee. There's a lot of churches in East Tennessee. He said, I've drove by it several times, and it used to say, Watts Bar, dot, dot, dot. He didn't want to say Church of God. But now, they call themselves the bar. I was like, yep, that's us. That's us. And, and I, I'm like, I'm just got free publicity. People are going to go Google. What's this place called the bar in Watts Bar Church? And my thing is this, listen, we, we know who we're called to. And I believe because God has used things with me to reach me that the world or that religious people would scoff at. But God used it to save me. God used it to reach me. I heard one preacher say this. He said, listen, in the Bible, God used an ass. And if he'll speak through an ass, he'll speak through some of you. <laughs> my daughter, I'm sorry. Her, her in-laws are here. I'm sorry, Mr. and Miss Richardson. Usually my wife talks like that. I don't. So. <laughs> but I've seen God use things because I believe that God's love for us is so reckless for us that he, there's no distance. He will not go to reach us. Let, let's, keep, let's keep going. They say, where's the one who's been king of the Jews? We saw a star has come to worship in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Again, all Jerusalem with him. But then, watch this. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah going to be born? They didn't hesitate. They knew. In Bethlehem of Judea. We know. The king Herod calls him, uh, uh, where's he going to, without hesitation. Hey, we know what the prophet said about him because we study the word. We study the Torah. We know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. The religious teachers, the chief priests, teachers of the law. Here's what gets me. They knew the promise of God. They knew the prophecies about Jesus being born. They had studied his word. They had studied the writings. Yet while these three magi who knew nothing about it, but had saw something that would make them say, I've got to go find this. I've got to go on a search. And they could not wait to go bow before the king. You've got these religious teachers that cannot be inconvenienced by a search for God. Why? Because that's exactly what they were teachers of religious law and they knew religion but they didn't know a personal relationship with God are you hearing me guys see I know here in the south if you ask somebody hey are you a Christian 95% of people say oh I'm a Christian I believe in God but here's what they what they're saying I know about religion I went to church but what they're not saying is this. They, they, they might have experienced religion, but they have never experienced a life-transforming relationship and experience with Jesus Christ. They may know religion, but they don't know relationship. 
And, and so Herod, it says, Herod is disturbed. You know why Herod's disturbed? Same reason a lot of us are disturbed. Herod knows this. If I acknowledge he, him as king, that's going to require me to step down from my throne on my kingdom and allow him to take his place. Same as with us. A lot of us, religion will allow us to stay on the throne of our own kingdom. But a relationship with Jesus requires us to get out of the way and allow him to take his rightful place. And we don't like that. We want to call the shots. We want to make the decisions. Let me ask some of you, how's making your own decisions work for you so far? Come on, real honestly. How's that worked out for you? If we're honest, we, we're the ones that have messed our lives up. We're the ones that have done that. Uh, let's get back to it. But here's the truth. He will require you to step down and for him to take his place. You know what I find more interesting when it comes to the nativity uh, scene? Um, more than, uh, than the magi being there and the others that are present at the nativity scene, what I find more interesting is this, who's not there at the nativity. You got shepherds, the lower class. You got the three magi. Uh, you got the, that are three kings or whatever, ready and willing to lay their crowns, their beliefs, their ideologies down at the feet of Jesus. Who's not there? You think about it. There's no King Herod. There's no chief priest. No religious teachers. I mean, isn't that odd? The classic portrayal of the birth of the Messiah, even if you don't believe, we can at least agree that Herod, the chief priests, the religious leaders, they should have believed. In fact, they said, it's true. What they're saying is true. Yet not one chief priest, not one religious leader, not even King Herod is present at the birth of the Messiah. The angels are there. Shepherds are there, the magi are there, even the sheep are there. But where are the ones that knew the writings, the prophecies, knew scripture, that had grew up hearing about the Messiah coming? See, over the past few years, this voice has been speaking louder and louder in, in the world uh, that, that say this, because we say Jesus is the only way. The voice is growing loud. Jesus can't be the only way. All roads lead to the same God. Have you heard that? And, but, but, but I'm going to tell you, let me be very clear. Jesus is the only way. But you say, well, well Kelly, what, what about those who were born somewhere else that have never even heard the gospel? know nothing about Jesus, to have a b different belief system or no belief system at all. What about those people? You mean like the Zoroastrians that Jesus threw them in? Well, well what about pe the person that didn't grow up like you, BK, that didn't have the, the privilege of having parents that raised them to know God? Or what about the person that did grow up in church but saw so much hypocrisy in people or was hurt or burned that they don't want anything else to do with the church? What about those people? What about the person that was raised atheist or agnostic, depending on the day? That's funnier than what y'all just laughed at. That's funny. 
What about the hint, person raised Hindu? Buddhist. God, what about the one that has messed up over and over again, that has blown it over? What, what, what about the person that has done things that they hope nobody ever finds out about? What about the person that is so far away from God? A lot of times I find this to be true. When we go to pointing out the distance for other people from God, what we're doing is trying to lessen what our distance from God looks like and make it look smaller. But there's only one distance that matters, guys. It's a distance in your heart. Distance in your heart. One of the things I learned 53 years ago in my short life, or not 53 years ago, but through my 53 years on this earth is God is not and cannot be limited by anything or anyone or any distance when it comes to us. He has proved time and time again over and over. He will do whatever it takes and go the distance to reach us. Let's close out with this. And let me tell you, you don't want to leave before the last song because we have got a special that's just going to blow you away. A couple years ago, I read a book. Um, it's an older book, but this book messed with me big time. A book by a guy named Brennan Manning. Uh, it's called A Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, Brennan Manning, let me give you a little history, was a priest. Struggled big time. He became an alcoholic. Found himself in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He writes this in one of his books, Homeless. He's living on the streets, and he said, and one of these, he said that he remembers one time in particular he was there in Florida homeless. And he says, I was just drunk out of my mind because I was hurt. I was done with the world. I was done with feeling the pain. I was done with feeling the hurt. And he said, while I sit there, he said, a woman with this young child comes walking by. And the child kind of let go of his mom's hand to come over and just check on this homeless, broken man. He said the mother ran up, grabbed the child, and said, don't be around that filth, and kicked him in the ribs, breaking two of his ribs. Brennan writes this. He writes about how the reckless love of God just would not give up on him, that Jesus didn't run from this broken priest, this mess of a man, but that while others ran from him, Jesus ran toward him. In fact, in his book, The Furious Longing of God, Brennan says this about God's love. In John 4, 16, it says God is love. 1 John 4, 16. In human beings, love is a quality, a high-prized virtue. In God, love is his identity. To us, love is a feeling, an emotion, a quality. God, love is just who he is. He's not limited by any distance, any addiction, any failure, any divorce, any sin, any sexual misidentity. He is not limited by anything. There's absolutely no distance that he will not go the distance. Here's the thing, though. The three magi, God went the distance, but they had to do something in return. They had to come, and they willingly. See, I believe God comes and expands the distance to reach us. But it's our response that makes the difference that changes things. Let me get Bob or Bubba to come on.
see, there are those here today. You thought you were here by coincidence or accident. You thought, well, I'm just going to go just to get so-and-so off my back from inviting me all the time. I'm just going to go ahead and get this out of the way. You thought it was accident, but what you didn't realize is God was setting you up. And he's going the distance to reach you. And if I could give you any advice today, it would be this. Today, leave religion behind and discover and experience what a life-transforming relationship with Jesus really looks like. I was watching a new series on Netflix this week. highly recommend it called Voices of Fire. It's about their, their making this huge choir, man, this pastor in Virginia. He's the um, uncle of Pharrell, if you're familiar with Pharrell. And uh, in the second episode, I, I, I brought Denise came. She was out. She came in and said, you got to watch this. I was gripping my heart for you. Young Filipino woman. So they bring her in. She begins to sing. And while everybody else was singing these, how great they are, she begins to sing, Jesus loves me. these other directors, they're like, they, they start saying, what is it about this that brings up that kind of emotion? And here's what comes up. Two tears will just, just those three words. Jesus loves me. Everybody needs to have this moment. And there are people here today that you need to know Set up for him to speak. Life.